Uh, We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5 this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Galatians 5. Uh, If you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, didn't bring one, that's fine. We have them under the seats around you. Feel free to grab one of those. Um, If you don't own a a Bible, um, that's our free gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. So if uh, if that's you, grab one of those Bibles and take it home with you. Uh, We are going to continue today um, in the sermon series, uh, Even Sinners Such As I. This is uh, countdown this week and then next week wraps it up and then we'll start our new sermon series. Uh, and so this week, um, in a lot of ways, is actually a continuation of last week, a part two, if you will, to where we were last week um, in the sermon series. Last week, we looked at how the gospel of Jesus sets us free from um, idol worship, sets us free from uh, attaching our hearts to things in this world other than God and worshiping those things and allowing those things to have control and influence over us. And so this week, we're going to look at how to stand firm in Christ now that we've been set free. How do we remain free? How do we continue to stand firm in that freedom that has been attained for us through the finished work of Jesus. And so in Galatians chapter 5 is where we're going to get started. Now, just a quick poll, the audience, as we, as we begin here today. And, uh, and here's the thing. If this kind of thing freaks you out, here's the good news. I've designed this poll where you get to keep your hands down, okay? That's right. So here's how it's going to work. Um, raise your hand if, over the past seven days, you have perfectly obeyed God's will for your life. I'm looking. Where, where are we at? Where are those who have just been perfectly righteous? No, nobody. Oh, we got one down here. Okay. Now, I'll flip it this way. Now, there, were cer- there are certain things that God calls you to refrain from in life and to abstain from. How, where are the folks who perfectly refrained and didn't do all the things that God didn't want you to do perfectly? Nobody? I thought this was a church. Where, where are you at, Christians? Like... Right? Aren't we supposed to do the things God wants us to do and not do the things he doesn't want us to do? Yet, by your admission and my admission, nobody did that perfectly this past week. Right? Nobody. So, so what does that mean then? If we're in Christ and there's still this struggle to do the things God wants us to do and not do the things that God doesn't want us to do. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. This chapter begins with a very interesting verse. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Now, this is an interesting start to what Paul is going to begin talking about now um, as he's speaking to the Christians here in this church. Now, the first thing he says is what? It is for freedom, it's because of freedom that you've been set free. Here's the reason why you were set free, so that you could be free, right? And that's almost like an obvious statement, but what Paul wants to remind us as Christians is that you have been set free for the sake of being free. So we have to ask the question, free from what? What have I been set free from? What have you been set free from? Now, the implications are are actually more than one. First of all, We have been set free from having to perfectly obey the law of God in order to have a relationship with him, right? By by admission, room full of Christians didn't perfectly obey God this week, yet we have a relationship with him. So we have been set free from that obstacle, that burden of having to be perfect in order to have a relationship with God. Second to that, we've been set free from 
the ceremonial laws of God. What do we mean by that? The Old Testament, we have not only the moral law of God, we have the ceremonial laws. These were the means by which, if you didn't obey God perfectly, you could be made clean. Jump through these hoops, and you can be right with God. We've been set free from jumping through those hoops. How have we been set free? Because Christ has perfectly obeyed the law of God and fulfilled it for us. And the third thing we've been set free from, we've been set free from the shame and the guilt that comes with knowing that we fall short. Right? We, we just admitted we fell short this week, yet we don't have to stand here in guilt and shame, do we? We don't have to stand here in condemnation. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, actually, there is no condemnation left for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. And so what Paul is saying is we've been set free from that stuff that we might be free and stand firm in Christ. Now what happens from here is Paul's gonna move into a part of the conversation um, that was really specific to what was going on in this church. So I'll give you some background. So Paul had been a missionary, much like Jeff and Holly and Sarah, and he had visited this area and he had shared the gospel and many became Christians, just like we were talking about in the Philippines on Dinagat Island. And from that group of Christians emerged this church. Now, after Paul leaves town to go to his next missionary location, somebody had slid in to this church and began to pervert the gospel and preach a different gospel. And now, specific to this church, here's what that perverted, twisted gospel was, that if you want to be a Christian, if you want to have a relationship with God, the first thing you have to do is become a good Jew, then you can become a Christian. And so they were reinstating all the ceremonial laws that the church had been set free from, saying, hey, if you want to be a good Christian, you got to do this stuff. And one of the primary things that they were doing was reinstating circumcision, right? And so that was specific to what they were struggling. Now, we can take the idea of circumcision away, and you can actually plug anything in there, and it will distort and pervert the gospel. In other words, um, church attendance, Right? Anything we make a hoop you have to jump through to, to be right with God and have a relationship with him becomes a law, a ceremonial law of some sort. You've got to wear church clothes. You've got to talk the church lingo. You've got to get the right bumper sticker. You've got to have the little silver fish that represent that you love Jesus. You've got to jump through these hoops to make God happy with you. What Paul is saying is that's a distortion and that's a perverted gospel. We've been set free from that. And the last thing he mentioned here is what? Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Now, what Paul is pointing out is what we talked about last week, that though we have been set free in Christ from idol worship and set free from bondage to sin, if a Christian finds themselves still struggling with sin or in bondage to sin, it is because we have submitted ourselves again. We can't blame that on the Holy Spirit of God. What Paul is saying is like, church, listen, quit submitting yourselves again to that from which you have already been set free from. And what he's going to say next from verses 2 through 15 is he's going to remind the church, listen, all that ceremonial law mess, is all it's doing is muddying up the gospel, and you're just creating your own law, your own way to get right with God, and it does not work. Whether it's circumcision or church attendance, does not work work. So we're going to pick this up in verse 16. Verse 16 begins with this phrase, but I say, walk by the Spirit. 
I'm going to stop here for a moment and talk about what that means. Walk by the Spirit. Now, a little bit of my background. I didn't grow up in church. Um, I didn't grow up attending vacation Bible school and Sunday school. I was 15 when I became a Christian, okay? Uh, When I became a Christian, I was led to Christ through um, this rural Southern Baptist traditional church. And and God blessed me uh, with a group of men from that church, men who loved Jesus, uh, men who quickly recognized that I was a young man who didn't have a father. They invited me in. They spoke into my life. They mentored me and how to, how to work hard for Jesus, how to serve for Jesus. And through their mentorship, God started calling in my life for ministry. Now, for everything that I acquired through what God did through that little church, one thing, though, that I didn't learn was how to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, how to walk, as Paul just said, by the Spirit. That, for some reason, was left out to be figured out on your own, and there was this kind of mystic idea around hearing the Holy Spirit. It was never really clearly defined for us. It was almost like you had to reach this Yoda-like Jedi status in the kingdom of God, you know, really be in tune with the universe if you want to hear the Holy Spirit. And it was very mystical and, and, and unclear and undefined for me. And and so early on, I can remember trying to discern that gut feeling. Is this the Holy Spirit? Is this, is this the devil? Is this, what, what's going on? What, when is it the Holy Spirit speaking? And sometimes I got it right. Sometimes I got it wrong because it led to sin. And I knew that wasn't God, right? And so I was just left to try to figure this thing out. And the simple phrase is, Paul lays this out. He says, listen, church, walk by the Spirit, So what we're going to do today is we're going to allow the Word of God to define that for us. What does that mean? Am I just listening for that gut feeling, that little compelling urge to do something or not do something? Or is there something else I'm listening for? So the rest of verse 16 goes like this. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now that's important because we started with a poll, didn't we? Far too many of us spent far too much time gratifying the desires of the flesh this past week. It's why we couldn't raise our hand, right? He said, but if we'll walk by the Spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, and that under the law phrase means under the condemnation of the law. So how do we listen to the Holy Spirit? How do we not listen to the desires of the flesh? What I want to do is just talk practically through um, the voices inside your head. I know, right? You're like, oh, how did you know? (sighs) Because because we are in Christ, we have his Holy Spirit, and yet his Holy Spirit is not the only voice we hear, right? So let's talk through the voices that speak to us on a daily basis. First of all, clearly in this passage, there's a voice of the flesh. Okay, so there's a voice of the flesh that not only speaks but has a desire. What Paul was referring to is our human nature. So you are not your body. Your body is, right, just the housing of who you are. Right? Some of you, that's good news. Others of you are like, I work hard on this thing. What are you talking about? Yeah, but you're not taking it with you to eternity. You're getting a better one, okay? So it's not who you are. It just embodies who you are. And so the flesh, right, 
influences you. I'll just give you some practical examples. So some of you today, when your alarm clock went off, the first thought that crossed your mind was snooze. Okay, that's not the Holy Spirit, that was your flesh. I want some more sleep. Others of you will leave here today and you're gonna go eat food. And what's compelling you to go eat food is the flesh saying, I'm hungry, right? So the flesh is constantly, right, urging us, influencing us, compelling us to do this or that. Now, what you eat and how much you eat is a decision you make. All the flesh is doing is saying, I'm hungry. Now, here's what we know about the flesh. The flesh is corrupt, deceitful, and not to be trusted. How do we know that? Because of the sin nature after the fall. Genesis 3 is where sin enters the world. Sin nature is now embedded in who we are. The very next chapter in your Bible is where Canaan, we find the story of Cain and Abel, Cain killing Abel. But listen to God's words as he speaks in Genesis 4. This is the second part of verse 7. God says, from this point forward, sin is crouching at your door. What God is describing there is our struggle with sin nature. It's going to be constantly crouching at your door. There's never a time where sin is not looking for an opportunity to devour you, to steal from you, to kill you, and to destroy you. And here's what he says. Its desire is contrary to you. It's opposite of you, but you must rule over it. So what God is saying is from this point forward, human beings, there's going to be a wrestling match between you and your flesh. It's going to compel you to do things that don't lead to joy and peace and life and meaning and purpose. Its desire is going to be to kill you. It's crouching at your door. So we know that our flesh is heavenly influenced by sin, so we can't trust it. So me listening to the Holy Spirit is not simply this idea of moving into this greater awareness and consciousness and just listening to my gut because I can't trust my gut. You hear me? I can't. So we know that there's a voice of the flesh that speaks to us. We also know there's the voice of the Holy Spirit. But let's talk about some other voices. How about the voice of culture? Did you know that culture speaks to you on a daily basis? There's a, there's a formal version of this, which is what we call marketing. And I'm not saying that all marketing is evil or bad. I'm just saying that's the voice you hear from culture, whether it's a radio ad, TV ad, billboard, Facebook ad, Amazon ads, culture is constantly speaking to you saying if you want to be happy, successful, you need to have this, you need to be this, you need to look like this, you need to attain this, and ultimately all they want is your, your money, right? That's what drives that engine. So they feed you a lie, right? They prom marketing promises you something in exchange for money and then doesn't deliver, so that voice is speaking to you on a daily basis, and it comes to us more subtly through the trends in clothing. I mean, go look at your high school annual. Whoo, thank God we let go of all that stuff, right, that we thought was cool, those haircuts. Let's don't even get into it, but here's the thing. Guess what? 30 years from now, we'll look back on what you're wearing now, and we'll say, oh, God, thank God I let go of that goofy outfit, why? Because it's this cultural trend that so subtly weaves its way into our lives and determines what we buy, what we wear, how we look, right? So there's a the voice of culture. There's also the voice of our friends and family, well-meaning people. Sometimes they get it right, sometimes they don't. 
How many times do you stop and make a decision, an important decision, and you think about what so-and-so would say? You, that's a voice of somebody, maybe your parents, or your grandparents, or spiritual leader, or community group leader, or a good friend. You stop, and what is, that's the voice of a friend, right, or a family member inside your head speaking into that decision. Now, the one we haven't mentioned yet is your own voice. This is what the Bible calls your conscience. Your conscience. Now, we know this. The Bible says that our conscience is not solely to be trusted because it can be seared or dulled or numbed by either engaging in sin and idol worship or, you know about this or not, being around other Christians who are engaged in idol worship. Either way, your conscience can be seared or dulled or numbed to become more apathetic to sin, but it can also be cleansed and renewed through the Holy Spirit. This is what David is praying in Psalm 51. God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cleanse me. It's like I renew this conscience that has been seared by my sin. So the conscience is not static. That voice inside your head is not static. It doesn't always get it right, which is why nobody raised their hand and why we wrestle with our decisions. You follow me? And so here's what happens. The more we turn up the volume on the other voices in our life, guess what happens to the voice of the Holy Spirit? It gets drowned out. You see, it's a false teaching to say that if you'll pray hard enough, if you'll just believe hard enough, maybe eventually God will speak to you. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. Paul is saying, hey, be led by the Spirit. It's already assumed that the Holy Spirit's going to be speaking. Right? My inability, my struggle to hear the Holy Spirit is not him not speaking. And, right? It's more of me listening to and, I, and, and raising an awareness to the other voices in my life such that it begins to drown out the voice of the Holy Spirit. So how do we turn down the volume on all the rest of these voices and turn up the volume on the Holy Spirit in our life that we might walk by the Spirit and be led by the Spirit? Now, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 talks about the works of the flesh. Just helpful information here. In a minute, he's going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. What he's talking about is these are the things that come out of following the flesh, and these are the things that come out of following the Holy Spirit. Okay? So think of it as fruit. What will be the fruit in your life that comes out of your life if you follow the flesh versus what will be the fruit that comes out of your life if you follow the Holy Spirit? Listen to this. The works of the flesh are evident or obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now let's stop here because we all admitted at the first of the service that we, we wrestle with these kinds of things, don't we? Right, so this do such things is this idea of giving yourself to these kinds of things. And if you've given yourself to these kinds of things, you're not in Christ, so therefore you don't inherit the kingdom. So Paul's not saying if you slip up or you mess up in this area, what he's saying is you give yourself, if you do, this is who you are. This is the fruit coming out of your life solely, then you do not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, here's what we have to understand. What Paul is saying, two things. One, the Holy Spirit never leads you to these things. Follow me? Right, so if I have this fit of rage, boom! It's not the Holy Spirit leading me in that fit of rage, is it? It's my flesh. 
The Holy Spirit never leads me into sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. I just feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to be done with this marriage and move into this relationship. No, that's sexual immorality. The Holy Spirit never leads me there. You follow me? Maybe my gut feeling, but we don't trust our gut feelings, right? Because why? Because it's infused with the flesh. It's heavily influenced by the flesh. The Holy Spirit never leads us towards these things. Now, let's put this in perspective. This list of things, this is the outward manifestation of what's going on inside of you. So nobody sets out at the beginning of the day and says, you know what, if, you know what I need to do today to be happy? I need to have three fits of rage. And then I will have a happy day, right? We don't plan our day. We don't, that, that would be ridiculous, right? But here's what happens. We buy into a lie that says, if I am going to be happy, I have to have this. And when that doesn't happen, what is my fleshy response? Fit of rage. You follow me? So the fit of rage is just the symptom or the fruit because I'm not getting what I want in life. So what Paul is saying is that this is the fruit coming out of your life consistently. You need to check your heart. Because these are the works of the flesh. Now, John chapter 8, Jesus gives some helpful counsel on, on how to listen to the voice of God versus the other voices in our life. And Jesus is actually talking uh, to some folks who claim to be God-fearing men. And here's what he says. He says, I speak, this is John 8, 38, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So Jesus is saying there's two different voices speaking. What you see coming out of my life, what I do and say, is just me echoing what I hear from God, Father. But I see something else coming out of your life that's an indication of who it is who's speaking into your life, your Father. Verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You're at that place. You don't want to hear. We, earlier we sang, here's my heart, Lord, speak what is true. That's a risky thing to, to sing and pray, you know. Follow me? That's not saying, God, say what I want to hear. That's saying, God, say what I need to hear, whether I want to hear it or not. Say what is true. And Jesus is saying, here's why you, you don't accept my words. You don't like what I have to say. And then look at what he says. It is because you cannot bear my word, verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and, you, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 4, and so on in humanity. He was a murderer in the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's a mouthful. But what did we talk about last week when we were talking about idol worship? What compels us to chase after idols? Because our idols lie to us. And now we know who's behind it. Jesus is unveiling the curtain here behind the author of lies. Look what he says next. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell the truth. Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now, 
What we're going to read next from 1 Timothy chapter 4 is how our consciences are not static. It can be impacted by the Holy Spirit to become more sensitive to the voice of God or seared or dull or numb to the voice of God that we might listen more frequently to the voice of our flesh and ultimately the lies of the devil. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 4, first two verses. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Though or through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are what? Seared. What does that mean? It means that the voice inside your head is becoming numb to the voice of the Holy Spirit and the main voice you're hearing is the voice of the flesh, the voice of the devil, right? Which is gonna lead to what fruit? Sexual immorality, jealousy, strife, fits of anger. We can go through the whole list. Enmity, divisions. Now, we come back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and begin to ask the question, okay, so how do I then turn up the volume of the Holy Spirit in my life? How do I awake, become awakened to the voice of the Holy Spirit, that the voice of the flesh, the voice of culture, even the voice of my well-meaning friends and family, that volume begins to dull and fade and dilute, that I might discern clearly the voice of God. Well, starting in verse 22, we read, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Meaning what? No condemnation of the law. No burden of having to obey the law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. We're going to talk about how to keep in step with the Spirit. First question we need to ask when we're discerning, making a decision, saying something or doing something is, is this the Holy Spirit leading me? Okay? Now, first thing you can do is just kind of take a litmus test on your life. What's the fruit coming out right now? What's the fruit coming out of your life? Any struggle with, let's go back to the list, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, any of that stuff indicative of, of your life right now coming out? If so, then you know at the, at the core of things, you've believed a lie. So don't tell me the Holy Spirit of God is leading you into those things. He's not. If that's what's coming out of your life, the volume of everything else is turned up and the Holy Spirit's voice is dulled to you. So how do we then turn it up? Well, right now, if coming out of my life is not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, then I know I need to hear the voice of God. So how do I do that? Our last part of this conversation, we're going to turn back to the Apostle Paul, who's the author of what we're writing. And we ask the question, did Paul ever struggle with this kind of stuff? Did Paul ever struggle with his conscience and not fighting with the flesh and listening to the Holy Spirit? And here's the thing. Paul wrestled deeply with these things. How do we know? Because he wrote about it in Romans 7. He said, why do I keep doing the stuff that I don't want to do? And why can't I do the stuff I know God wants me to do? So Paul himself wrestled with this. So how did Paul turn up the volume of the Holy Spirit in his life, dull the volume of all the other voices that he might walk in the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit? Acts chapter 24, Paul divulges just a little bit of vulnerability how this works for him. Listen to these words. 
starting at verse 14. This is Acts 24. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which was what Christianity was referred to early on, it was called the way, which is they, they call the sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains, listen, to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. The NASB says it this way, I labor hard and strive. I do my best to maintain a clear conscience. What Paul is saying is you have to be intentional Christ follower. You can't just go with the flow, listen to your gut, and expect to have a clear conscience before God and man. What will happen is your, your conscience will run awry. It will derail. It will chase after the desires of the flesh and convince you that you deserve those things and that those things will bring you happiness. And, and it's your conscience. It's the voice inside of your head saying, do this. I don't like the way things are going. Well, do this and you'll be happy. And what Paul says, I have to be eager, I have to work hard, I have to be intentional to maintain a clear conscience. And how does he do it? First thing he says is what? I worship the God of our fathers. First and foremost, any idol in my life has to be replaced by the one true God. My worship has to be directed at him and him alone. I, have a, I maintain a clear conscience by worshiping the God of our fathers. Second thing he mentions is what? I believe everything written in the law and the prophets. That is a reference to the Bible. Now hear me on this, church. I didn't get this early on as a Christian. I thought there was the Bible, and then there was the voice of the Holy Spirit, and my hope is that sometimes they lined up. If you want to hear the voice of God, you have it right here. Open it and read it, and you are hearing. Now, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit can't speak in addition to that. Urge you specifically to share the gospel with a coworker, and, but it always aligns with the word of God. Always. The only voice that speaks in opposition to the word of God is ultimately the devil himself. You follow me on this? You want to become more acquainted with the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. You, like Paul, are going to have to say, I believe everything written in this book. I read it. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God is the architect and the author of every word. Supernaturally, superintending that through the hearts and intentions of man, we might have God's word. This is a miraculous work of God. And Paul is saying, listen, to keep a clear conscience before God and man, I have to constantly align my heart with the word of God. I've got to believe it. And then the third thing he mentions is the gospel having a hope in God. And then he points out, even you guys have this hope that there will be a resurrection from the dead of both the just and the unjust. How do we know that? Because Christ himself raised from the dead. So not only is it a heart that is directed in worship towards the one true God, a heart that is open to the voice of God through his word, it's a heart that says, I believe the gospel. Now think about it. What is, how does the gospel empower us to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit Versus listening to the voice of my flesh, the voice of culture, other voices. Because here's what the gospel reminds me. If I'll stop and I'll think about the gospel when I'm about to make a decision, what I'm reminded of is that God loves me. His acceptance of me is not based on the outcome of this decision. 
All the pressure is off. I've been accepted. I've been redeemed. Listen, church, that's not the complete gospel. The complete gospel will go on to say, and I have attained the righteousness of Christ. So if I choose to engage in acts that are unrighteous, I'm stepping away from this identity that I already have in Christ. And not only that, listen to this, church. If I'm thinking about the gospel, I'm thinking about what what Jesus has done for me on the cross. It cost him his life. You follow me? When the weight of that lands on me, it stirs my affections for God and the voice of the Holy Spirit becomes louder. And now I don't follow arbitrarily in obedience to God because it's the right thing to do. My heart longs to please God for what he's done for me. And now I just, I crave the Holy Spirit, the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life. You you follow me? Now here's, here's the good news. Before Christ, what we've learned the last two weeks before I became a Christian, I was in bondage and a slave to my sin. I did what it wanted me to do. But now in Christ, that bondage has been severed and I've been set free, forgiven and clothed with righteousness. Eternity is secure. If I find myself once again in bondage, it's because I willingly went back and submitted myself in bondage. But now in Christ, I am free. I am free to wrestle with the tension between the flesh and the Holy Spirit. And the more I submit to the Holy Spirit, the more that I am acquainted with the voice of God, the more I follow and I keep in step with the Holy Spirit of God in my life. I think it's a great disservice when we in the church make this this concept of listening to the Holy Spirit some kind of ambiguous, undefinable thing. When God says, no, you know what my voice sounds like. You know what kinds of things I say because I've said them and written them down for you so you don't have to guess. Now what I want to do is give you an opportunity to hear uh, from one of our newest elders, Mike Devenuto, as he shares a little bit of his story and how this has worked out in his life. If you guys are ready, let's, let's run his video. My name is Mike Devenuto, and I've been coming to Solid Rock Church since 2009. Uh, me and my wife Rachel have been married for, since, for 12 years, and we have two kids. We have Michaela, who is eight years old, and Andrew, who is five. I currently serve here at Solid Rock Church on the elder board, as well as leading a community group. The story of how I came to Christ really began at the kitchen table when I was 11 years old with my dad. Uh, He walked me through the gospel. He walked me through passages in Romans where he showed me what sin was, what the wages of that sin was, and that how I could be saved from that but just by trusting in what Christ had done at the cross. So that day I sat with my dad and uh, we uh, went through a prayer of salvation and I can't really say back then that I was, was saved back then. I had said some words. But what I do, I did, I learned a lot of things. I have knowledge, and, uh, but knowledge in and of itself wasn't salvation. So I don't know when lust really entered my heart, but uh, what I can tell you is how it grew. I can tell you that I began feeding it. I began thinking about girls in the wrong way. I began, you know, that... Uh, the Sears catalog, whatever it was that, uh, that I could see, um, I began to feed it and it grew and I needed something more tantalizing the next time, something else that was gonna, um, that was gonna get me going. Um, but uh, it, it just, even all the way through college, just, it, it just, it kept growing. And 
again, with it came, you know, the filthy language, the, uh, um, uh, the dirty jokes and all that. And um, One of my neighbors had invited me to church, and I had sat in uh, one of those pews. I don't remember if it was the first or second service that it was. I don't even remember what the sermon was about. I just stopped and said, God, I've done it my way this whole time, and this is where it got me. Um, I said, so now my life is yours. And uh, with that statement came all of what I had learned. I knew what sin was. I knew what it cost. I knew what he did for me. And I just said, God, it's your turn. But since then, there has been a huge impact, a huge change of what God has started doing. He said, okay, now we're going to start doing something. And I began seeing changes in my life. Um, well, I remember a guy at that church had, had uh, invited me to a small group. I'm so glad that he did. He was, he, was, he was bashful about it, but I'm so glad that he did. And from then, me and these guys started digging in, started being real with each other, being transparent about, about everything. And, uh, and a handful of us really dug in and were talking about the hard things. I told you about how I, I've always struggled with lust, and we were really transparent with each other. And we dug in and just, you know, we were, we were, we were honest with each other. So again, with uh, those handful of guys that we met with, we were just being very transparent with each other. We would talk with each other about what are what are our triggers, what are the things that sort of set us off, the things that get us going, that get our imagination going. And we were being very open and honest about what those things were. And not just for the sake of conversation, but so we can encourage each other, so we can we can call each other out and uh, and and help us to not be in situations that would be compromising. And we could pray for each other. Um, when me and Rachel had started dating. Um, we just I, we recognized the the risk that was there, that we could uh, that we could mess this whole thing up the way that we wanted to do it God's way. We wanted to make sure that we honored God even how we dated and everything. And uh, this is just sounds silly, but we, this is very very much a Mike thing. But I uh, we wrote up a uh, an agreement, a courting agreement. Uh, things that were acceptable, not acceptable, and because uh, we wanted to be pure, we wanted to do things right. And, um, and we also documented, we wrote down why we wanted to do that, not just for legalism, but because we wanted to honor God and what we were doing. But uh, we had gone through that. And one thing that was beautiful, again, this, this wife, Rachel, what she, she ran interference for us. You know, even when we got married, she ran interference by, by checking the mail. Uh, she would uh, make sure that she would filter out all the ads and things and uh, catalogs and things that would come in. She would cancel catalogs that we shouldn't be getting. She, uh, she made sure that cable networks were trying to give us free channels um, that we, we sh you know, they're questionable. She made sure that we were not getting those channels. So I was letting her in on the struggle that I had. Now, was I embarrassed about those things? I, I was embarrassed about that because even after we got married, I still had that struggle, and I'm just so thankful I got a, a wife that's just full of grace. So then there's the practical, there's the scripture, but just really being in prayer and just asking God every day, every moment that He's with me, just, God, walk me through today, walk me through this struggle, walk me through this temptation right now, um, just, and he, he meets me there. He does. He allows me sometimes to struggle a little bit that I grow. He allows me to, to see who I am so I recognize who He is and just 
soaking in prayer every moment as I'm walking, as I'm driving, and I'm going from one meeting to another, I'm just in prayer all the time. And it's not always about that struggle, it's about everything, about all who God is and all He has to show me. Amen, amen. So thankful to serve with elders who believe the gospel and are willing to be transparent uh, with us. And uh, so thankful for Mike's story. And what we, we hear in Mike's story is how through Christ he has been set free not to wrestle with his sin. See, the absence of wrestling is the absence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And what you hear in his story is that after he gave his life to Christ, he surrendered and said, God, let's do this your way. As now he was empowered and set free to wrestle with sin. And I don't know... I don't know everybody in the room. I certainly don't know where you are right now with God and how this particular sermon and this particular time in God's word has landed on you and how the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. Um, There's a good chance though today you realize that you've been turning up the volume on a lot of other voices in your life. Maybe it's the voice of culture. Maybe you've been looking to culture on how to fit in and how to be successful and happy. And today you realize that's a lie. I'll never get what I'm after through that avenue. Maybe today it's the voice of your own flesh Maybe you've realized today the reason that I'm still in bondage is because I've never really surrendered to begin with and given my life to Christ. Now, so I don't know where you are today, um, but what I want to do is I'm going to encourage us now to respond. And so, as always, I'm going to lead in prayer. We're going to have our prayer partners at the front. There'll be also prayer partners at the back if you want to slip into a prayer room. Our worship team will be back up on the stage. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to encourage you. We, we sang earlier, God speak what is true, so he did. So now, let's respond to that together, can we? Let's pray. Um, Father, thank you for speaking truth to us today. God, thank you that you have brought clarity to what it means to walk by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to hear the voice of your Spirit, God. And today, I believe you have spoken. And so, God, now as we've heard your voice, I pray you would give us the faith and the courage to, to respond for the person who's here today who has not yet surrendered their life to you for the first time, God, I pray, meet that person where they are. Meet them in the midst of their doubts. Meet them in the midst of their fears. Give them the faith to take that step towards trusting in Jesus. For others of us here today who are Christians who've been in this wrestling match, maybe we walked in today just feeling completely defeated. Thank you for reminding us that that God, you're not done working in us. God, giving us some wisdom on how to keep in step with the Spirit. So God, would you assist us, empower us, lead us now as we respond. In Jesus' name we pray.